So there's a term that I've uh, come to know. It was a while back that I learned this term, and you know me. I love my hipsionaries and different things. Here's a new term entering into our, our uh, vocabulary. It's, it's left UGs. Describes people who leave a liberal-leaning state for a conservative state out of concern for their personal well-being. All right, left UGs, people who leave a liberal-leaning state for a conservative state out of concern for their personal well-being. And listen, there's a lot of them. 98,000 people in 2020 alone left California. 98,000 people. And that was just one year. California has left so, lost so many people, they lost a congressional seat for the first time in their history. And I don't know about you, but I still hear comments. Brian, I can't wait till I retire or I can just blow this place. Brian, I'm not sure if I can raise children here. Brian, I'm worried about what God's going to do. Not just here, but in my life, like I'm concerned. And it's been years where I've been hearing those questions. It's been years that I've been wrestling with these to where I took back, I, I took time and I went through scripture. What does God have for us? What does God desire for us? What does God want for good people who love Jesus, who happen to live within a kooky culture? Like what directions does he give? What expectations does he have? Does he want us to stay? Does he want us to go? Like what does God have for us? And that research led me to a letter, a letter of 2 Peter. 2 Peter is written by the apostle Peter. He was expecting to be martyred for his faith. He was watching his Christian friends struggle in a community where there is persecution because of government corruption, where people were losing their jobs because of their faith, where there was increasing immorality, where there was division amongst churches and people. And out of all of that, knowing that this might be his last chance, the Apostle Peter wrote a letter to his Christian friends back then, and I believe First Christian friends today. If you have your Bibles, you join me in the book of Second Peter, where the Apostle Peter has a message for you and for me. And, and I want you to notice Peter doesn't waste any time in this letter. He doesn't go into a paragraph of greeting and mentioning people by name. No, no, no. He's expecting to die any time, so he needs to get this out. And Peter begins with a foundational and powerful truth that if you want to have a fruitful Christian life, you need to understand the power of your salvation. 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Begins this way. We'll just read the first little bit. It says, Simon Peter, a bondservant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's, one, he's that apostle that I feel like I resemble the best. The apostle Peter is that one who seemed to be ready to just speak out on any conversation possible, but, but he also got into trouble the most. If you remember, here's some examples. So the apostle Peter, one time Jesus was talking to his disciples and he was saying, listen, I have to suffer and die for your sins. And this is what happened. Look at this. Gospel of Mark said this. 
He began to teach them, being Jesus, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days rise again, and he was stating the matter plainly. And Peter took him aside, began to rebuke him. Continues, he says this. But turning around and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on God's interest, but man's. Right? That's Peter. That's what Peter's known for. Get behind me, Satan. There's this other time where Jesus, again, was talking about his need to suffer and die for sins. And so Peter tries to take the other tact. And Peter says, Jesus, I will suffer and die right alongside you. Here's how that went. Simon, Simon, behold, surprise, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. But he said to him, Lord, with you I am ready to go both to prison and to death. And he said, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you have denied three times that you know me. And most of you know that story, right, that very night. Peter denied even knowing Jesus three times vehemently. But the thing about Peter, like he has those huge major screw-ups, but then he also has this powerful profession. In Matthew, look at what he said. When Jesus asked him, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Right in the midst of all of his mess-ups, Peter had this profound profession of who Jesus was. And look at Jesus' response to that. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, blessed because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. He continued, he said, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Man, this profession of faith in Peter seemed to just propel him forward in faith and ministry. And I think the Apostle Peter thinks the same is true for you. The Apostle Peter could have began his letter of a myriad of ways. He could have written to his friends, listen, I know you're being persecuted by a corrupt government. And so listen, if you want to live faithfully before the Lord, pay attention to who's in charge and change your governmental structure if you can. He could have said that. Man, countless Christians were losing their jobs because of their faith. There was financial implications because of following Jesus. So, so Peter could have said, listen, if you're going to be faithful to the Lord, there's going to be financial challenges, so be careful where you invest. Make sure you watch your 401k, your 403bs, and your pension plans. But he didn't. The Apostle Peter could have mentioned a myriad of things. He could have gone into church size, worship styles, diet plans, climate change. But he didn't. Apostle Peter, at the very beginning of his letter, after he makes half a sentence introduction of who he is, he says this. To those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. The first thing Peter goes into, he says, you need to understand the reality of salvation. 
I want to make sure you understand, Peter isn't saying you need to be saved. He's writing to Christians. He knows they're saved. He's like, there's certain things you need to understand about the reality of salvation. If you want to have a chance to be faithful to the Lord in the midst of a kooky culture. First thing you need to understand is the reality of salvation. And the first thing he says is you have to understand that it's given by God. Look at where he says it right there in verse 1. To those who have received a faith. A term received it wasn't something we achieved, earned, or purchased. It was something given to us. In fact, this word means to accept a portion given to you by someone else. It's something that you, that you don't gain over time. It's received as a one-time gift. Peter says, listen, you didn't buy this. You didn't earn this. You didn't achieve this. It was given to you. It wasn't given to you over time like lottery winnings. It was given to you in one chunk. You have received the grace of God. Look how Paul says it in Ephesians 2. He says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, but not of yourselves as a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. First thing, Peter says, you need to understand about the reality of salvation. It wasn't anything that you earned, that you achieve. It isn't anything that somehow you have to ascend a corporate ladder. No, 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 this was given to you. And you might say, why? Why was this given to me? Why would God give me salvation? Look where it continues. It says, by the righteousness of God our Savior, Jesus Christ. That term righteousness in this context has two meanings. Number one, it's because it's his right. He's God. He's the God of all creation. He can do what he wants. Why would God give you salvation? Because he can. But also, why would God give you salvation? Because of his righteousness, his justice, his fairness. Here's your reality. If Jesus came to you and says, look, I'm going to offer you salvation, but you have to live this nearly flawless life in order to achieve it, how many of us would do it? How many of us could do it? If it was something you had to purchase, how many of us could afford it? If it was somehow that you had to live in such a way that you had to work your way up to somehow earn it, None of, us, none of us would make it. The Apostle Peter is saying, listen, if you want to understand salvation, first you need to understand that it is given to you by God. It's his right to do so. And it's out of fairness and justice. He knows you'll never make it unless he provides it for you. First thing you need to understand about the reality of salvation, it's given to you by God. But he continues, not only is it given by God, but it's the same for all. Look at this. To those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, the Apostle Peter says. You have the same kind of faith that Peter and all the other apostles, that term same kind, the term in the Greek means to have equal value, equal honor, having the same standing. There's no second class citizens in Jesus. There's no levels in heaven. Our salvation is not only given to us by God, but he gives it to us in an equal portion to everyone else who believes. Man, there seems to be this desire of Christians to lift up apostles and other superstar Christians as if they've been giving some, given something more than you and I have. 
We have this assumption, this false belief that that God has somehow given Peter and Paul and John a higher standing, a bigger portion, something that he hasn't given us. And Peter's looking to you saying, listen, you want to understand how to survive a kooky culture. You need to understand the reality of salvation. It's given to everyone. But it's given to everyone the same for all. You have the same standing before the Lord as Peter, as Paul. You have the same position in the kingdom of God as Peter, as Paul. You have the same assurances of faith. You have the same gifting of the Holy Spirit as Peter and Paul. Peter's like, listen, you have been given the same faith as me, so live it. You're no longer a weakened vessel of sin. You're an empowered instrument of God to the same degree, to the same level as the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul. You have the same honor, the same value, the same standing before God as they do. So live that way. Peter's looking at his Christian friends. He says, you want to know the difference? You want to know why you're struggling? It's not culture. It's not gas prices. It's not the immorality. It's not the corruption. It's your lack of understanding of what you've been given. You have, the, you have the salvation. And everything that Jesus has accomplished in you. And it's been given to you to the same degree as all the superstars in the New Testament. So why are you struggling? Look what else he goes the reality of salvation, not only given by God and the same for all, but it results in communion. Look at what he says next, verse 2. He says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. A term grace used to describe God's favor given to someone who is undeserving. Peace, it's used to describe more than just an absence of hostility. It's more than a ceasefire between enemies. It's the confidence and freedom from worry that comes from complete restoration. Peter says, man, if you understand the realities of salvation, you'll, have, you'll understand that grace has been given unmerited favor and kindness from God. And you'll have peace, this confidence and this complete rest and wholeness in knowing that you have been reunited with God. You might be thinking, Brian, I think I'm saved. But I don't have peace. Man, Brian, all I do is worry. I worry about my kids. Worry about my future. Worry about my culture. All I do is worry. Brian, I believe I'm saved and I understand the reality of grace, but I still am buried in my shame. I still live in the shadows of my sin. I still feel cut off from God. Brian, I believe I'm saved, but I do not feel grace and peace. And look what he says. He says, grace and peace be multiplied to you. Man, it's going to keep growing and growing and growing. As you live in your Christian faith, your understanding of grace and your confidence in that will keep growing and growing. The peace that surpasses human comprehension will continue to grow and develop in your life. And you might be saying, Brian, I don't have it. 
Man, Brian, how do I get that? Man, if that's the reality of salvation, why am I missing it? Look at what Peter says. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ. That term knowledge describes a deep, full, rich, and genuine knowledge of God. The more you learn about the authority and power of God, the more you learn about the work of Jesus and the position that he has been given through his sacrifice, it changes your life. And the more you understand about the sovereignty of God and the, the authority of God, that all world powers submit to him, that he holds all authority in the palm of his hands, the more you learn and know that about God, the more, less you worry about politics in this world. Man, the more you understand about the way that Christ paid for the penalty of your sin, and the more you learn about the realities of the gifting of the Holy Spirit that's empowered you to move forward in life as an instrument of God, the more powerless or the less you will not feel powerless in this world more and more. Man, you ever struggle with forgiving someone? Because you question God's righteousness or judgment or discernment? May you struggle forgiving someone because you question God's ability to handle it and deal with it? The more you learn about God, it empowers you in this peace and this communion with God. Now, the Apostle Peter says, listen, you want to know why you're struggling so much? It's not because you live in kooky California. It's because you don't understand the power and the reality of salvation. Man, it's been given to you by God. It's the same for everyone. And it results in communion. Theologians will call, the, call this part of salvation justification. Here's a definition of justification. This is from my favorite theologian, Wayne Grudem. It says this, the justification is the act of God that declares a sinner righteous by faith on the merit of Christ's sacrifice. Here's how Paul describes it, Romans 5. Look at this. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. Man, when you understand justification, what God has given to you, man, it just produces this celebration and this relief. Here's a chart that describes justification. Justification, it's a legal standing. It's something that God just decided. It's over. It's done. There's no appeal. There's no process. It's once for all time. You just need to be justified once, declared justified by Christ. When you accept salvation, you are justified. Justification is entirely God's work. There's nothing you have to do. Jesus paid for it. He gave it to you. It's perfect in this life. It's the same for all Christians. Same thing you needed, Peter needed. 
Same thing Peter needed, Paul needed. Same thing Paul needed, Augustine needed. Same thing Augustine needed, Brian needed. Same thing Brian needed, you needed. Man, we all need justification. First thing Peter sets up, you want to know how to live in a crazy culture. You want to know the foundational truth that will enable you to be faithful to Christ in the midst of whatever situation you find yourself. First thing you need to understand, the reality of salvation. But Peter's not done. He says not only the reality of salvation, but the riches of it. The riches of salvation. He continues, verse 3. It says, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Seeing that his divine power, first truth you need to understand about the riches of salvation, is it's empowered by God. That term divine power describes something that's impossible for you and I. This isn't saying that God has divine power. It's saying that he's using that divine power to give you something something you can't find here on earth. It's something that it empowers you for that you can't earn through government, that you can't purchase through finances, that you can't somehow achieve through success. It's something that God and God alone can give to you. The riches of salvation is you have access to this divine power and look, and granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. First thing, riches of salvation, it's empowered by God. But the second, it's sufficient for life. It's sufficient for life. It grants you everything. Look at that term, granted. It means to give you, bestow upon you. That term, everything, it doesn't have an asterisk. It doesn't mean it gives you everything, but here's the limitations. You've got to look at the bottom of the form in the back in the super small writing. You don't have to have the right paperwork. You don't have to have a coupon. It doesn't work after so many times. No, no, no. It works this divine power for everything. And you feel powerless in your marriage? Like everything is too broken? And there's nothing you can do to be an instrument of God in the midst of it? Peter says, you are not a weakened vessel of sin. You have been given salvation. And you have been given everything. His divine power, which is given to you for everything pertaining to life. Forgiveness. Submission. Restoration. Generosity. Obedience authenticity. And Peter's like, you know what Christians struggle with? Understanding the reality and the riches of your salvation. Peter says, the riches of your salvation, man, it is empowered by God, it is empowered by divine power, something that you can't find, you can't earn, you can't purchase, you can't achieve here, and it's sufficient for life. Man, can it be possible the reason we struggle with so many aspects of life isn't because our culture is so hard, but we misunderstand the power of salvation. Man, Peter begins his letter. You want to know how God has empowered you to survive within this kooky culture. Peter isn't telling his people to run. 
Peter isn't telling his people to fight. He's telling his people to understand the reality and the riches of the salvation. Thirdly, the riches of salvation empowers your sanctification. Let's go back to verse 3. It says, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence, for by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. Man, what an understanding of salvation. Peter calls them precious and magnificent. Man, can I ask you, what do you have in life that you would define that way? Precious, irreplaceable, something that you can never find again. Magnificent, man, something that is just filled with splendor and people look at it with awe and amazement. He has granted to you his precious and magnificent promises so that by them, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world by lust. It says the power of salvation only gives you everything for life, but for godliness. Godliness, everything you need for your transformation more and more into the image of God. I hear people talk about all the time where there's saving faith and then there's transforming faith. No, 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 no. There's just faith. There's just faith. When you understand the reality of salvation, there is just faith. This same faith that is given to Peter and Paul and Brian and you, it's the same faith. It's given by God. It is the same for all of us. It results in this multiplying communion and peace. The more you learn about God, the fuller and more content you become in your life. And there's riches of it. Man, it is empowered by God. You don't have to pay a bill. You don't have to participate in an election. You don't have to win a game. It is something that God has just bestowed upon you. It is sufficient for life. Man, this power of salvation gives you everything that you need to do more than just survive, but to thrive. And lastly, the power of salvation empowers your sanctification. It transforms your life more and more into the image of Christ Jesus. Salvation is described as justification and sanctification. Again, Dr. Grudem, my favorite theologian. Pastor Jeff is my second just because he's younger. Sanctification, the progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and more like Christ in our actual lives. And the way Peter understands salvation, you don't get justified and then the elite people move into being sanctified. No, no, no. When you accept salvation, when you receive the payment of Jesus Christ, you have been declared justified and you enter into the sanctification process that rids you of more and more sin and fills you with more and more of the characteristics of Christ. It is not either or. It is both. Look at the chart as we compare sanctification and justification. Justification is a legal standing. Sanctification, it's an internal condition. 
Justification, once for all time. Sanctification, it continues throughout life. Man, my grandpa, when he died at 86, was still in the process of sanctification. Man, the way I looked at my grandpa, I thought that he had reached it. He was just short of having a halo over himself, over his own life himself. But when grandpa saw it, no, 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 I'm still growing the image of Jesus. The closer you draw to the Lord, the more and more you're aware of the imperfections of your own heart. Justification is entirely God's work. Sanctification, it's part God, part you. You need to walk away from sin. You need to choose to forgive. You need to let go of animosity. You need to give up that need for control. You need to step away from greed. You need to walk away from lust. That is your responsibility. Between your walking away and what Jesus fills in your life, transformation in your life occurs. Justification's perfect in this life. Sanctification's not. You ever wonder why some people look more like Jesus than others? It's not because Jesus loves them more. It's because some people follow him better. Justification's the same in all Christians. Sanctification's not. Sanctification is greater in some than others. And again, please remember, that's not because God is doing something greater in them. It's that they are drawing more to God. The Apostle Peter is talking to his Christian friends back then and today. And please, I know people say, this is the craziest time it's ever been in history. It's not. Christians have lived amidst kooky times well before us, the Apostle Peter is looking at them and looking at you and saying, you have been given everything you need to do more than just survive and hunker down and wait until Jesus returns. You have been given salvation. And this salvation, the reality of it is given to you by God himself. And I know you feel like you might be a second-rate Christian. You're just hoping you're going to make it into heaven and hope that you can just make it to downtown next to the train tracks in heaven and that's good enough for you. And Peter says, listen, we've all been given the same justification. None of us are righteous. No, not one. And it results in communion and it grows over time. Your salvation's empowered. It's, it's divinely empowered. It's empowered by God. It's sufficient for life. Everything you need has been given to you. Even to silence that. Well, I'm just punching it. I'm sorry. You take my mic off and I just get grumpy. <laughs> Riches of salvation, the last one. And see, and I'm not even late now that I've just totally destroyed the moment. I'm not even behind. Riches salvation, lastly, it empowers your sanctification. Man, it will transform your life little by little. The more you choose Christ, the more he will transform your heart, your home, your family, your church, your community, your world. Here's the truth. Peter wants Christians in his day and our day to know. If you want to know how to live in a kooky culture, what God desires from you. Here's Apostle Peter's opinion. Rooted in Scripture. 
Man, you've been given everything you need. You have received salvation to the same degree as all of the superstars. You've been given the same spirit, the same power, everything that you need for life, everything you need for godliness, everything you need to change your life more and more into the image of Jesus. You have already been given it all. So Peter's message to you is to live it. And Peter's position Thank you, Ronnie. Peter's position, you want to understand what we're lacking is understanding the reality and the power of salvation. It's something the Apostle Paul believed too. That's why I think he wrote one of the greatest prayers, one of my favorites in Ephesians 3. I've shared it with you before, but let me share it with you again as we close our message. The Apostle Peter, or Apostle Paul, is writing to good people who love Jesus. The church of Ephesus, one of the great places, one of the superstar churches of their time. The Apostle Paul wrote them to encourage them and to exhort them to understand even more all that God had given them. Listen to his prayer. Ephesians chapter 3 said, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen.